0: Hey
1: everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. For all the listeners out there, I just can't thank you enough of how much we appreciate you guys listening in. Just wanted to put that out there. Got my lovely co-host Matt here. He's got his fancy shirt on today. He's ready to rock and roll. This is not on YouTube, so you can't see that. But for those listening, you could just close your eyes and envision Matt in a nice, bluish,
0: colorful, flowery shirt. And if you see anyone matching that description today, you should approach them as if it was me, (laughs) under the assumption that that description was apt. Correct.
1: Man, how's everything going? What's the one-two punch so far? Anything surprise you yet this year, 2024? It's only been a few weeks,
0: but... I'm surprised and not surprised that we're so busy already. So January is always a big ramp-up thing, but I knew when we were talking to a lot of customers in December that it was going to come with some expectations. Yes. So yes, it's been very, very busy, very intense.
1: It has. Uh, no, a lot going
0: on. You came
1: out with a bang. Obviously, you've got your leadership course that you're doing here internally. And then for the listeners out there, you know, if we have got any customers, I'm going to throw this out there. Matt, I didn't even ask you if I could mention it, but quarterly lunch and learns. Yeah. Very importante. Again, I think just further educating
0: the customers and even folks inside our organization
1: is extremely important. And so.
0: Look, I'll qualify this. Like I benefit too, right? So I learn sure. a, a lot by like, what's making sense to people what isn't you know like even like obviously this podcast we're big on education Mm -hmm. but the fact of the matter is that you know you learn a lot by the way people ask questions you learn a lot by sometimes they'll say look i understood what you said and then they go do something you're like wait i didn't explain it very well because that wasn't what i meant right and so it really refines how you solve problems how you ask questions so like I get a lot out of it too, but yeah, we're going to be making the rounds and it's not just me, right? So yeah. if you find me charismatic and fascinating to hear, you'll get a chance, but if you can't stand me, guess what? There's options. There's options. <laughs> so man, you know, what I was thinking about
1: the other day when we were talking, cause you'd send the message and, and so on, like, cause obviously we've got Denver, we've got mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. We've got Oklahoma City, Tulsa, you know, Midland, Dallas. I mean, there's several places. So, I mean, we could literally have a full team of just doing seminars and lunch and learns and stuff. But I think it'd be hilarious if we had a van and we wrapped it with AES and we did like a road show and we went to different cities. Maybe did like a Texas road show, maybe filmed it, did a vlog. Again, I think that would just be amazing. I I don't know if
0: my wife would be (laughs) for it, but I'm in. A big camper van, (laughs) the team education just on the road. That'd be hilarious. Also, we need to give a shout out. So okay. I was talking to Larry in the lab, and he was talking mm. to somebody, and apparently we have a podcast listener in Trinidad. What? And I thought that was super cool. Trinidad and Tobago, which is one place with two islands. Okay. Um, but uh, it's been a long time since I've been there, but just really excited that we reach faraway places or faraway relative to where we are. And I've worked with a lot of Trinies, as they call them, all over the world. Okay. Great people, always know how to have a good time that... And anyways, we're grateful that you listen and we think it's really cool. So yeah.
1: And with that being said, huge thanks to that individual. But also, if you're listening to this outside of the U.S. and Canada, hit us up on LinkedIn or engage with us on a post or, or something just to, again, because a lot of times feels like we do this amongst each other. We know some folks here in the U.S. who listen in, but it'd be so cool if we're being if what we're doing is also positively impacting the drilling community elsewhere. So yeah, if you're out there and you're listening from abroad, we'd love to hear from you. Moving ahead, talking about drilling fluids and educating, Matt, this is something that if you've been on a rig, whether you're a rig hand or a driller or a mud engineer or a directional driller, I want to talk about screen blinding or, you know, blinding the screens, if you will. And so it's something that comes, I would say it happens at least once a well, you, <laughs> you know, know what, what I mean? mean? It's very common, but there's so many different reasons as to why they happen. And so I think it'd be cool to talk about, you know, what the situation of that happening, maybe some operational response things we can do, and then perhaps some more on the analytics type of things of like let's analyze the why and maybe what's happening more on a granular level. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk
0: about when we say blinding screens or screen blinding, what are we referring to? So typically the shaker screens get covered up by mud. So it doesn't look like solids are actually separating and mud's passing through. It looks like mud's just flowing off the end of the shaker. And You know, you bring up a good point. There are a few different scenarios where this can happen, right? The mud's cold and you need to warm it up. So thicker mud or just thick mud, flocculated mud, contaminated mud, right? And so there could be sort of like some of the chemical things. And then there's also just what you drill through, right? Right. You know, there's that effect. Yeah. Again, going back
1: to it, there's a number of different reasons. And I think that's a good place to start, right? Is like if the mud's cold. You mentioned what we could be drilling through. And ultimately, maybe for those who aren't very familiar, but like the screens have different hole sizes. Yes. And so they go from, you know, I'm going to sound like 101, very large. Mm-hmm. And then they get really, really tiny. And by large, like what would you say on a rig's at the largest? Like you'd say like a 75 mesh, but what would that yeah. be millimeter wise-ish? Oh, uh,
0: gosh. I used to know this stuff. We have a different episode where we talk about it. We do. It's a bit of a range. So like the easiest thing to do if you're trying to get that reference, and we make posters too, by the way, Mm -hmm. just look up API 13D screen sizing and it'll be like 170s, 200s, and it'll have a range of microns that is considered the like D100. Yeah. So that would be the arguably smallest square. Right. But yeah, so like if you're using like 75s, that's super coarse. A higher number, finer screens. So normally what happens is... Oh, my gosh, the screens are blinding. What do we do? Get bigger screens. That way more mud will pass through. Right. Which there is logic in that. However, there's also risk because larger screens mean more stuff stays in my mud. Yes. And so, look, when you're trying to warm up the mud or if you sort of know the situation, it very well could be that you're going to start with coarse screens or you go to coarser screens and then kind of tighten them up as fluid conditions sort of allow. But then there's other blinding scenarios where we just see solids kind of coming across the shakers and, oh my gosh, bigger screens. And so now all those solids are going to fall through. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And which, again, it's intuitive to think if things are
1: flying over the shakers, the holes aren't big enough to let the stuff go through. But to your point, sometimes you actually have to think in the reverse. So a lot of times, and this didn't dawn on me for a long time until – you know, years after being off a rig was like, no, you actually maybe want to screen up by meaning make the hole smaller, because it could just be that whatever's coming over meets the exact size or a good portion of the volume coming across has solids that are the similar size, right? Yes. Which you don't want those in the mud. And so screening up is also a response and oftentimes a better response, unless it's like surface hole and you're just
0: blown and going and you have so much volume coming across, you just can't handle it. But. Yeah. And hopefully you have cheap mud then anyways. Where it's sort of maybe accepted, but it's a counterintuitive thing, right? I mean, I think that's why we have these conversations. The problem is, I think once you sort of talk about it or you see it for yourself, it makes sense. Up until that point, your assumption is let the mud pass through so it's not flowing over the shakers, right? Because if I, let's just say I put pieces of cardboard on the shaker, at least until it wore out, it would let all the mud flow over the shakers, right? Yeah. But I think, yeah, it's that sizing relative to that opening. So, yes, a bigger screen can let solids pass through as opposed to that match. But when it's fine enough, that particle can't embed in that opening. It kind of has to keep being conveyed and bounce forward, right? Mm -hmm. And similarly, you can sometimes find these nasty, nasty, but like think of bridging theory. And we've done plenty of episodes on kind of a particle about one third the size of an opening. The way we try and like seal a fracture down hole Well, you can have similar effects where you have a mix of different particle sizes that are just right, that actually seal up across the screen. And if you go finer, they're not as optimal to cover that area. And so they'll convey. Right. So that's kind of the important thing to think about. But it's something we're a little scared to do. And so, you know, maybe get a taste. Try it on one shaker. Yeah. Maybe have the first couple of screens on the shaker fine. And see how you're doing. Mm, Like, is mud pouring off those and then like passing through the coarse ones? Yeah. Sometimes it takes some baby steps to experiment and talk yourself into this, or at least talk the people on the rig into it.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. That's what I was going to say is it's a lot of times it's good to make just small baby steps instead of spending all that time and just working the rig hands to death by changing all the screens on all the shakers can come to find out, oh, we went the wrong way. But one thing I did want to differentiate, and I'm sure folks are out there, I was like, well, your mud's probably this and that and that. We're talking just screen blinding from the solids coming over the shakers. Yes, we're mechanical not talking effects. about effects. Yeah, and we're not necessarily talking about like, you know, different mud systems and because, that. yes, that's kind of another conversation too, is if your mud is contaminated or you're having issues with the mud in itself, well then the root cause is maybe not the screens. It could be something else going on. I just wanna kinda of make sure that like, no, we're that's talking important. about just the solids in
0: itself or that are coming across, not the fluid. You know yeah. what I mean? Changing screen sizes will not fix clabbered up mud or Correct. You know, another one that comes up occasionally is greasing, right? You run out the pH way too high with a lubricant in the hole and it may blind the screens and like that'll happen, but that's a chemical effect and grease covering a screen, even with a bigger screen probably won't help you very much. Right. You've got to address the chemical factor. Yeah. But mechanically, you know, a lot of this, we drill through something, right? Like, so we have our screens optimized to where we're supposed to be and then we cut through, you know some fine material or whatever, or we've seen a few formations. And I've talked to shaker folks about this. We've seen sandstones that have these really weird distributions that are sort of like perfect for bridging across mm. our typical, you know, one seventies or whatever, or two hundreds. Yeah. And so they'll be like, yeah, that distribution is kind of tough. And so whenever you drill those types of wells, you're going to have more problems than one formation above it or below it. Yeah.
1: So that's a really good point. And so kind of went through and went through the scenarios a lot of it is trial and error, but there is oftentimes where you do drill into something and it is, there's just something that, you know, it's kind of like the Oldfield boogeyman just coming across and it's blinding the shakers. You just can't figure out what it is. It's not product. It's maybe formation, but you just, there's some uncertainties there. And so Matt, from a, sort of an analytics perspective and more kind of like trying to put some science to it, what can we do as a company to try and at least find the root cause as to what is
0: causing the issues at the shakers? So one thing you can do is, I mean, as a lab guy, what do I say? Get a sample. Here is a key though. You want to get a sample from the flow line. So you want cuttings and mud coming back. You don't want already classified like, oh, these are cuttings coming off the end of the shaker. Well, those were probably the thing that were, you probably self-selected the best, like the stuff that was actually working. And so that's we want to, we want to see the whole picture, right? So that's one thing. And look, get us some cuttings as well. Cause the other thing we might do is we might do mineralogy on it mm-hmm. because if we do mineralogy, if we run X-ray diffraction, you know, we can talk to or correlate it with a formation top. I can say, oh, that's that sand package we know about, or mm-hmm. then we can start kind of tying in any sort of issues that we might have and say, you know, this is going to stick around or here's the best, most effective screen layout for this. Yeah. So those are things we can do, you know, in the lab. And then I guess the other part is, you know, talk to a screen rep. Like, look, some of the people making the rounds in the field may have already seen this before nearby. And then the other thing is they normally, you know, a lot of the screen folks have technical representatives that we are happy to work with where we could talk about the data that we're seeing and, you know, make some recommendations together. Those are some things kind of on the lab side that we can do. And look, we'll probably ask for a mud sample, too, just to make sure it's not yep. something in the mud. No, um, that's
1: true. And you bring up a really good point because a lot of times, and again, you kind of laid it out in the notes, is like when this stuff happens, a lot of times, A, they don't want to slow down. So it's kind of like panic mode. And so, of course, the mud engineers run around trying to figure out if there's anything wrong with the mud. Okay, check. Everything looks good. It's just whatever we're drilling through is coming over and causing these issues. So there's a little bit of degree of panic. And so we'll run and grab a sample of the cuttings coming over there. But to your point, as a mud engineer, I think, you know, again, sample of the flow line, which will have cuttings and stuff in there, kind of everything coming out of the hole. Mm-hmm. Then cuttings coming over the shakers and then maybe something in the suction line, like get different data points and which will help us tell the story as to maybe exactly what's going on. I think is is a good point because I've done this on a rig, you know, full disclosure. this happens It's like, oh, just grab a sample of the cuttings and... Thinking back at it, I was like, oh, I, to your point, you should have grabbed something that's coming f- straight from the flow line to get a representative sample of everything that's going on to the shakers, which is causing the problem. So,
0: yes. And uh, I've actually like had this happen where I asked for a sample. I didn't really look at the lab data. I just scheduled a meeting with the shaker company, shaker screen guys, said, hey, you know, here's our analysis. And you can clearly see the cut where the shaker screen had separated things out because everything was larger than a certain size. And they were like, yeah, this isn't data that helps us. And I was like, I'm a moron. I'm so sorry for wasting your time. Like I should have, I should have looked at the report before I jumped into this, but we were in a hurry to solve the problem. I do think that's kind of a big picture element is more information, the better. And I've seen another one I remember is we don't see it a lot like in the Permian, but in South Texas, occasionally, I'm going to say it, water face salinity on the other end where it's not high enough and they'll have sticky cuttings that are blinding the shakers. Yeah, And just running, you know, bumping up the salinity was what really needed to happen because, you know, they're monobores. There's more exposed. Anyways, that's another thing that I've heard about and encountered.
1: No, that's a good point. I mean, sometimes, Yeah. yeah, if the properties aren't in line, there could be something going on there with the cuttings. And next thing you know, it's causing whatever, some stickiness or it's just not allowing the cuttings to flow off the end of the shakers real nicely. But, and again, too, when you look at a sweep, a lot of times, you know, you'll blind right. the screens. That's just a, you know, sort of elevated flow coming over across. And so, again, operationally, you can get on there with a wash gun to spray it down until that passes. And a lot of times that can help, but that's not necessarily a long term fix. If you're having continuous screen blinding, look at your screen size to figure out what you're drilling through. Consider, you know, again, samples like we talked. Whether, you know, if you're, you know, in the production hole or something, there's a small chance where you need all of a sudden start screening up to let more stuff pass through. There's a good chance you want to go the other way. And so understanding where you are in the well is obviously important, too. And so, yeah, it's just not as easy as just changing screens out and away you go. And then, two, you could just be having screen, you know, something to consider is screen wear and tear. You know, you could have holes in your screens, which wouldn't necessarily cause blinding, but it's still not optimal for...
0: Or you screen up to get better conveyance, and then what do you see? Now they're wearing out faster, but it's harder, you know, it's a finer screen, so it's a little harder to see. Yeah. And then it becomes a whole thing where it's like, well, we're bypassing the shakers. Like, well, no, you wore a hole in it, but, like, this was bound to happen because you were using coarser screens that were lasting longer, and the right way to go actually is going to. You know, sometimes you should be going through shaker screens. Um, And I understand they're expensive, which sort of circles back to if you have some of these issues, don't hesitate to bring these. I mean, for how much they're charging for screens, they can probably recommend the right one. Um, We're happy to help, but,
1: you know. And again, to reiterate, it's like, you know, we're certainly not putting ourselves in the seat of expert screen people, but... It's something that we deal with and so you know when there is screen blinding oftentimes we have a good idea of what we can do to help you know come up with a solution in addition to input from you know whether it be the shaker hand or the screen company again it's something that it happens and when you start losing mud over the shakers especially if it's an expensive mud you want to limit that as much as possible and there's some small things that you can do to help eliminate that but and again if you find something weird coming across get your samples and do some lab work to help come up with you know the why and Hopefully come up with a better game plan the next time, but man, that's really all I had. It just I thought it was an interesting conversation operationally, it's something we have pretty commonly, and so, yeah, yeah. That's no. about it. Good topic. Awesome. Well, if anyone out there has any thoughts, questions, maybe you've got a fun story to share, hit us up on LinkedIn or you can reach us at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com. For all our international folks out there who are listening, greatly appreciate it. Make sure you reach out and connect. And until next time, take care, everybody. Take care, y'all.
0: Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flowline. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.